Lord, I thank you for this amazing man who's walked with me for well over a decade. God, I thank you for the example of grace that you created through this man's story. God, I thank you for his steadfast and diligent obedience to you, God, to follow you and to submit to that grace. God, I ask that you would anoint him today to impart from his story, to impart from his life that grace to all of us, Lord, to follow you better. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, man. It feels good to be on the receiving end of prayer. Um, thank you so much, Will. Well, uh, my name is uh, Daryl Temple. Um, if you don't know, uh, seeing how we always have a good handful uh, of visitors and newcomers, which welcome, um, I and my lovely wife with uh, a handful of leaders get the privilege of leading this church. And so um, if you don't know me, now you do. My wife's not here. She's not skipping church. We recently just adopted and yeah, very cool, very excited, very, very cool season for our family. And so she's with our little newborn, Benjamin, back at home, just getting him settled and, and um, you know, keeping him safe from germs and viruses that you people may be carrying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, if you know me, you know that I like to have fun, uh, maybe a little too much sometimes, but uh, we're going to get into God's word. Is that okay this morning? Is that okay? Is that all right? Some of you are excited. All right. Uh, we're starting a new series called Undeserving, uh, hence the uh, backdrop here. And we're going to dive in uh, to the grace of God. Um, we're going to dive into the scriptures that better inform us of this grace and which um, has uh, been provided to us through Jesus Christ, God's son. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to maybe start on a different note and kind of maybe set the stage as we prepare ourselves for at least four to five Sundays uh, talking about this particular content. Um, so if you'd allow me to do that, um, which I don't think you have any choice because I have the mic and, you know, they kind of pay me to do this. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Like, there you go. There it goes again, that side of me that likes to have fun. Um, let's start off with a story. Um, many of you, uh, I'm sure, know the story of how me and Bethany um, came to being, <laughs> came to be husband and wife. Um, and I'm not going to get uh, too much into the... Uh, the details of that story. Um, but back when we decided to kind of go public um, with our feelings uh, to our church friends and family and such, um, it was interesting the response that we received. Uh, I was expecting just a little bit more excitement and support. Um, and we did get that, but not entirely. There were old flames that were jealous. I know I had a couple of them, okay? I'm not, it's just, you know, this good looking guy right here. Let's just, uh, um, you know, there, there were um, hopefuls that were let down, you know, people that maybe wanted to be in my shoes. Believe me, there were plenty of men who wanted to be in my shoes and be dating Bethany. Um, and then there were doubters, there were skeptics. And those guys and gals were very um, vocal. And, and, and rightly so. I was a bit of a newcomer, you know, I was from the opposite side of the tracks. My life was anything but holy. It was a bit sketchy, you know, and, and uh, fortunately, Jesus encountered and saved my soul. And, and I was kind of new to this church family. And um, it took a little while for them to acclimate and kind of adjust because Bethany, well, she was very known and not she wasn't just very known. She was very much loved by this community. But naturally, once the people got to know me, um, it changed the way they perceived me. And um, as their perception of me changed, they became more comfortable with the situation of me and her dating. And I want to, I guess, get in a little bit about the power of knowing. I want to kind of 
overlap some uh, similar maybe points to this message of my experience when me and Bethany decided to go public with our relationship. I want to say this statement of which I'm sure many of you here may not agree with, but I, again, have the mic, and so I get, you know, just to say what I want, but uh, I heard a couple laughs there. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm running that joke a little bit dry, but uh, let me say this um, statement, and this is really what I want to get into um, this morning. The way in which we relate to God largely depends on our understanding of God. Hmm. Hmm, got like three or four people there latching on. Thank you. Let me say that again. The way in which we relate to God largely depends on our understanding of God. The, the more we get into knowing God, our perceptions of God become clearer, right? Naturally. And, and as our perceptions of God become clearer, our connection, hopefully, with God becomes deeper. Similar to the way in which the church community kind of received me and received the news that I was interested in their um, Mother Teresa, their, their golden child, the holy roller, Bethany, Tem Bethany, I've almost said Bethany Temple at the time, Bethany, yo, um, in other words, the deeper we dive into knowing God personally, the closer we feel to him relationally. Now, that's common sense, right? That's nothing really new. We all know that. But I wonder how many of us fully experience the joy of knowing God completely or to our best the best way that we possibly can. I know as I observe some of my life and some of the ways that I get to enjoy that, I, I kind of don't. There's, I have some misgivings, you know, some misunderstandings about God. And in order to start talking about God's grace, we need to kind of maybe clear up some of those misgivings, those misunderstandings that possibly some of us have of God today, maybe knowing or unknowingly. So how... We know God impacts the way we relate to God. So if your impression of God today is that he's an angry, slightly intolerant, gray-haired being sitting up there on a throne, unavailable, uninterested, and unreachable, if you see God as distant and maybe out of touch, you know, with your life and the things that go on in your world. If you see God as out to get you because there's some areas in your life maybe that are unchecked, right, are possibly unsanctified, uh, then your relationship with God will suffer or at best be strained. Rather than drawing close to God, and enjoying the mercy and grace that he has given us, we'll stay at bay, withdrawn and distant because we fear his retribution. You know the way that I can tell how most people relate to God is the way in which they worship. <laughs> I know some of you might look at some of maybe my antics up here. I'm yelling, I'm sweating, I'm raising my hands, I'm getting all into it. You get Andrew, he's yelling, he's getting into it. You, got, you know, you got like a handful of people just getting loud and proud and into the presence of God. Um, some of you may think that's just kind of like, you know, antics or I don't know, some kind of strange behavior, like we're trying to drum up some emotion. No, we're, we're just passionate. We, we are really in love with Jesus. And when we sing these songs and when we 
hear this truth, you know, in the music that, that, that we're singing. Man, something, I don't know about me, I can't speak for any, everybody, but something goes off in my heart. And I just can't sit still. I just can't be reserved. I, I just can't be silent. I can't, I can't keep my hands like in my pockets, although that happens sometimes. And I'm not trying to judge the way anyone worships here. Hey, you do you. But you can tell the way in which someone kind of relates to God in the way that they worship. They're either fully immersed and lost and getting excited in the moment, or they're withdrawn, they're distant, because they feel like overall God's not happy with them. There's so much, let me just put this caveat in here. There's so much at stake in what we know of God. The very existence of our faith depends on our knowledge of who he is, how he works, and what he says. If you have a chance, look at Hosea chapter 4, just in case you don't believe me. The prophet says here in verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy. That means he's unhappy. With the inhabitants of the land, there is no fullness, faithfulness, excuse me, no steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Now, it's interesting. I think this is the first and the only time that the prophet um, cites there's no faithfulness and steadfast. However, he cites at least three to five times that I've counted the knowledge of God, the absence of the knowledge of God in the land. And then we just fast forward to chapter four, verses five and six. And the prophet says this, my people are destroyed. They're done with. For what? The lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. He's now talking to the priests, the people who are supposed to communicate and, 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 and spread the knowledge of the Lord. He's saying, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. Now, what does our children have to do with it? He also, has, I think in verse two, talks about, he picks on moms. But anyways, you know, God is a bit, he's a bit angry at what the priests are doing. But the point is this, knowledge, our knowledge, our understanding of God matters. And, and, and I'm not trying to be dramatic. And I'm sure you're like, yeah, right, dude, you're, you're, you're everything but. <laughs> like, but. But the truth is, the very existence, as I said earlier, of our faith, as the prophet Hosea cites here, depends on growing, maturing in the knowledge of God. And I've broken those things like, what, what do you mean by the knowledge? Who he is, how he works, and what he says. That, to me, it's not the entirety of what that means, but it's a good starting point. Who God is, how he works, and what he says. The knowledge of God is vital to our existence, as I said, and the sustainability of our faith depends on it. Now, in saying that, it's easy to get God wrong, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I am guilty <laughs> as charged. I remember in my early 20s, I don't want to get too honest and scare people, but I had an addiction uh, and I'm not good. I've already kind of bared my soul a lot behind this pulpit from time to time. But man, I was struggling as a young 20 year old. And I began to develop this kind of feeling that God was okay with my addiction. <laughs> because 
As a young 20-year-old, he was still using my life to help people and to encourage people and, and, and whatnot. And so I developed this kind of idea that, oh, well, God is not displeased. Look at the way in which he's using me. Friend, I got God wrong. <laughs> and that might be offensive uh, to some of us here today. How could you tell me I get God or I could get God wrong? Listen, it happens all the time, especially if there is the absence of the knowledge of God in our midst. I know some of us may think we're too smart for that. We got God all figured out, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be funny there again. I'm sorry. I know that none of us uh, fall within that bracket. I feel like Jesus in a roundabout way talked about this in part when he encountered that woman, that Samaritan woman in John chapter four. And, and, and we can spend some time kind of getting in the weeds. There's so much rich, um, you know, there's richness in that chapter. But I just want to focus on just, I think it's um, six words that Jesus said as the conversation with that woman came to a close. And if you're familiar uh, with this story, awesome. If you're not, I apologize. But for the sake of time, man, uh, we're just going to get right into verse 22, if that's okay. As this conversation starts, you know, happening with this woman, Jesus starts, we, we charismatics say, Jesus starts reading her email, her, I don't even know where that comes from, and I don't even know what that means, really, but Jesus starts disclosing things about this woman that possibly only this woman and a handful of others know, and if you know the story, it's not pretty, and suddenly as Jesus begins to talk about her secret private life. The, interestingly enough, the girl starts taking the conversation in an entirely different direction and starts talking about worship and, you know, her ancestors and where they go to worship. And, and Jesus says something so pain, painful. It's, it's, it's somewhat harsh. But in verse 22, he says, woman, you worship what you do not know. Wow. Why am I using this? Because I am sure many of us can relate. I know I can relate to this woman. <laughs> like There has been many times uh, through my life as a Christian, 20-something years into it, that I feel like God has lovingly said, Daryl, you got some things wrong about me. And this is what I want to say in regards to that statement. And this is why I, I, I'm saying that you can tell a lot about how people relate to God of how, when, when they worship God. I'm, I'm not probably saying that correct, but, I'm, but, but let, me, let me just say this in light of uh, verse 22 of chapter 4. You can't worship God rightly apart from knowing God intently. You, you can't worship God rightly apart from knowing God intently. There will be something missing. And possibly you, ever, you even felt it today as we worshiped. There will be something missing in your worship if you feel like you've discovered all there is to discover about God. Any one of us today could be this lady. And so this is why I'm driving uh, um, this, this nail of, of growing and maturing in the knowledge of God. Because as we get into the grace of God, as we you know, discover the truth of God's grace, man, 
there, there's, there's many parts of that truth that feels so undeservingly like, like, how do we have such a gift? But listen, friends, if we are growing in the knowledge of God, it is easy to accept something that seems so foreign and so that is wild. And let me break that down or hopefully break that down. But before I do, let's talk a little bit more about this woman. And I'm sorry, I, I yell from time to time, if you haven't noticed. Um, I, I like to blame Jesus for it, but my dad yells, my mom yells. I think it's just like in the family. Uh, we, just, we just do it. We feel like people listen to us better if we <laughs> yell at you. You know, I'm not yelling at you, but um, I know it sometimes may feel like this. But here's what Jesus zeroes in. Uh, the woman's problem, if you read the story, has nothing to do where she worships. And it's in the story, she references how her ancestors go to the mountain and worship God and how Jews say, well, the temple is the place to worship. It has nothing to do. Jesus is, is, is so far removed from where, from where she's taking the conversation. Jesus is not remotely concerned today about where we worship, how we worship. He's concerned about who we're worshiping. There's a tremendous need for us, the people of God, to get ourselves some wisdom and revelation, to grow in the knowledge of God so that our, our worship becomes more, uh, I don't know if I'm going to use this word right, but unhinged. It just becomes undignified in a sense. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but it has Anyone here experienced the constant punches of the enemy? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you just, it, it almost feels, I don't want to prop the enemy up, but man, he is ruthless in his ways, isn't he? He's a tyrant and he just keeps coming, keeps coming. And you're kind of, we touched upon this two Sundays ago, but you're kind of wondering, like, dude, would you let up? But man, the only way in which I've found to fight back, to, to give that adversary, you know, a punch back, is to be, this may sound way off, but is to be firmly rooted and grounded in the knowledge of God. I need, to know, I need to know how to throw punches. I need to know how to serve up, you know, a, a one-two punch of reminding him of who he is and where his future is going to end up. But I can't do that if I have no idea, you know, of what actually that future looks like. And fortunately, when we grow in the knowledge of God, we become better warriors. I hate to use that terminology. <laughs> I feel very charismatic when I do. Warriors for Jesus. But it's true. We, we, we become better at fighting back that foe, that liar, that deceiver. And men, you, you almost have to be in, as intense about it as he is as intense about his fight to get you feeling like you're dirt. Like you'll never, you'll never get it right. Come on. Can anybody relate to that constant, constant liar just has your ear? 
And you start growing in the knowledge of God. You start, you start clothing your mind with how God works, what God says. Man, you, you, you become a better fighter. It's like your training ground. You know, it's like a boxer who would get up to that, that boxing, whatever it is. What do they call it? Bag. There it is. You know, you got to dive into knowing. Man, if you stay, the worst thing you can do is stay oblivious and clueless. The, the worst thing that you can do to open yourself up to the enemy and his tactics and his ways is not immerse yourself in the scriptures. It's not immerse yourselves in the stories of the Old and the New Testament of how God graciously, when all odds were stacked against the people of God, worked so powerfully in their midst. Man, that stuff will fuel you, but it will make you a fighter as well. And we need some more fighters in the body of Christ. Too many people letting the devil lie to them, letting the devil walk all over them Monday through Sunday. That's almost like it does not end. Can I just say this, friends? You are not the adversary's punching bag. Like, God has given you tools. He's given you weapons. Fight back. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him accuse you falsely. Yeah, you may be a failure. You may not be giving it right. You may still have that gnawing, you know, addiction, that, that compulsion uh, to do things that are totally unchristian. But you can't give in. You can't let him win and keep you back from finding victory. Friends, there is victory on this side of, side of eternity. But we have to clothe ourselves with the right weapons to fight back. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. Who cares? Let me just remind you today. Stop letting the enemy walk all over you. I, 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 about five years ago, I refused to stop letting the devil use me as a welcome mat. Just every day, wiping his feet on me. You know, like, just, just, you'll never do this. You'll never amount to this. You have this. That's not, you're not godly. You said that to your child yesterday. You know, all those things that just, oh, they, is pinpoint the areas that we already know are out of check and out of whack. But man, guys, there is a grace. There is a grace that is far more powerful. There is a blood. There is a sacrifice that is far greater than our sin. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're involved with. I don't care how far you think you're gone. God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. And I, I can't wait because, you know, this time of the year, as well as Lent, it, it kind of confronts all of our misgivings, all of our misunderstandings, all the places that we've believed lie. It kind of just exposes those things and, and, and embeds within us anew and afresh the deep truths of the gospel, the deep truths of Jesus and his sacrifice and, and, and what that means for us sinners. I love this time of year. And that's why we're catapulting into a new series, Undeserving. We're going to remind ourselves of the, the powerful truth of the gospel and what it means for us sinners who are without hope until 
until Jesus came. And I'm wondering how many of us still have that hope. Or, or how many of us today feel, even if you haven't let your mind kind of wander there and believe it, but you know in your heart somewhere you feel like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like I have so like walked all over God's grace. Like you don't understand. Listen, I, I have spent years of my life just trampling on the grace of God. I, 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 you don't understand. I, I can't get over this addiction. I, I can't stop doing whatever that is, you know, but I want to tell you friends, I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you that if, if you're there, if you feel like you're just too far gone, I, I just want to remind you of something that I, I believe also exists in the back of your mind. And, and, and from time to time, you, you, you feel the Holy Spirit saying, you are not too far gone. You are not out of reach. It doesn't matter if you have spent three years laboring under a certain kind of addiction or 30 years. God's grace is still sufficient, and yet you don't, undeserve, you don't deserve it. But today, that grace is being extended. And I just want to encourage all those to lay hold, as Will preached last Sunday, lay hold, dive into the deep end of the pool of God's grace. Don't, don't let your 30-year or three-year hang-up keep you from 15, whatever that you can, you can put the year, you know, I got, I got like 19 you know, years of struggling with the same addiction and compulsion. 50 years. Man, if I just decided to give up at year 17 or year 15, and no, God, I've blown it. And there were times I felt that friends, it is a lie. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. You can not exhaust it. Let me end with this note and then we'll ask for a keyboardist to come. Ephesians 1. I believe it's verse 4. I don't know why my um, iPad has gotten rid of it, but I don't know the verse. Paul says, May God give us, the church, the spirit and revelation, end of revelation, sorry, in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which we've been called to in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you in a way reminding ourselves of the hope today that's in Christ Jesus. The enemy tries his ways and schemes and tries to convince us that there is no hope. And, but Lord, there is. And God, I ask, Lord, that everyone here under the sound of my voice would experience that hope, Jesus. Anew and afresh, Lord, I pray, Lord, for those who are in the throes of addiction. I, I pray, Lord, that today they would be filled with hope. I pray, Lord, for those who, whose marriages may be failing. God, I pray for a new hope, a new grace to rest upon their unions. I pray for families who are 
who are struggling to keep their family together and their kids fearing the Lord. I pray, Lord, for your grace. Lord, I pray for your wisdom and strength to uphold them, Lord, as they fight the good fight of faith for their children. I pray for those college students on the brink of maybe walking away because the pressure in school is just too great. The pressure to remain abstinent, the pressure to remain holy, the pressure to remain believing that there is a God, that there is hope, that there is salvation. I pray, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, you would encourage them today. Strengthen their resolve. Give them a new hope, God, a new hope, a hope that is rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for all those who are hopeless. Today, let them find a new hope. A new hope, God, that you've given through your Son the hope of redemption, the hope of victory, the hope of healing. I pray for those who who feel like God that they've um, lost their way Lord they've in so many ways feel like a failure they in so many ways feel like they'll they'll never amount or they'll uh, to anything or they'll never find victory Lord I pray Lord that you would silence the enemy Father, that you would give them a new hope and a new victory that is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as we bring this to a close, Lord, and as we take communion, let us be reminded of the sacrifice, the cost that your son gave, Lord, so that we could have this hope, so that we wouldn't be a victim to addiction, so that our marriages would succeed, so that our families would grow in the knowledge of the Lord and be kept fearing God and loving God and so that students and young people wouldn't stray from the faith, but they would walk that narrow way that leads to life. Father, I thank you that all of these things have only been given to us by Christ Jesus and his sacrifice. Help us be reminded of this as we take communion. Muiwah.